We're trying to make it look better, turn the brightness down. Everybody can get up now and get coffee and use the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everybody, everybody, everybody take a little out now. <laughs> All right. Praise God. Well, you don't need to. Hi, Mr. Cole. Lord Jesus, we thank you because you are so faithful and true. You are so kind. We thank you for the favor you place upon every one of us as we walk through life and even when we didn't know you before we knew you and but you knew us and you loved us and uh, you paid, a, paid a, a price that none of us could pay just to buy us back from, from the evil one. And Lord Jesus, you are so good. We, we just put our heart and give our heart, give our heart to you and, and say that you are our God and we, we turn our lives over to you and we look to you for the help we need to walk through this life and we thank you that one day we'll be up there with you and that you're up there building houses for us and <laughs> I don't care what kind of a house, I just want to be there with you Lord. Mm -hmm. We thank you for your goodness and your grace and your love and your mercy to each and every one of us. We thank you that you're a righteous God. We thank you that for this, this dry weather that we've had for the day it was supposed to rain and it didn't, and we thank you that it'll dry up a little bit. And we thank you for the warm weather now, and uh, we praise you and honor you and put you first in our lives. In Christ's name, amen. 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 Lord. Okay. Um, wow, pretty excited. So, title of this message is A Washed Body, and we're still in this section of Hebrews 10, 19-22, and we get the go to the final clause of verse 22. So let's just uh, jump right in there. I'm, I feel a little crowded by my own TV. Ta-da! Oh well. <clears throat> Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is to say, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. So here in this, our bodies washed with pure water. Uh, let's see if I get the right phrase. You can't spiritualize your way out of this. It's your body <laughs> washed with pure water. Yeah, but the faith is all about my heart and my soul and walking by the Spirit and flesh bad, spirit good. No, no. God expended the blood of His only begotten Son to redeem all of you, all of me. Spirit, soul, and body. When the Godhead said, let us make man in our own image and in our own likeness, he formed man out of the dust of the ground. What image and likeness do you think he used? And he breathed into him the breath of life, and man became a living being, a living soul. 
in his letter to Timothy, Paul wrote that great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. We are followers of the way, the truth and the life, the Lord Jesus Christ, who said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. And we are um, admonished that we are to behave as children of our Heavenly Father. In other words, that when people see how we behave in, uh, in the face of all of the messiness of this world, what they see is a reflection of the heart of the Creator of the heavens and the earth who loves, who heals, who redeems, who wants all of you in the way that He made it in the first place. So, after, after dealing with, with all the heart issues, we start moving toward what we like to call rubber meets the road, or rubber gets off the hands. you got to get clean. you got to wash up. And, uh, pardon the pun, uh, all of this is, well, it's a deep well. <laughs> I've been known to go on hours just <laughs> yeah. about water. <laughs> I've written portions of books just about water. Um, I, you know, I could, I, if I, if, well, you know, we can go into all kinds of atomic diagrams and, and, and everything else. But it's my hope that a good drink will not only satisfy, but make you desirous for more. Uh, because all of this is vital to how we fellowship with our Heavenly Father. This is about drawing near. It's not a point in and to itself. The, the, you know, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, that's not the end point. The end point is drawing near. Having our bodies washed with pure water, that's not the end point. The end point is drawing near. A new and living way wasn't the end point. The end point is walking through. <laughs> right? Jesus, Jesus dying and resurrecting wasn't the end point. His dying and resurrecting was so that we could draw near. Understand? I, I'm going to get a little so excited. Be with Him for eternity. To so be with Him for eternity. So, I talk about approaching the holy. Again, um, Hebrews, as a book in the New Testament, is the most concise treatise on an explanation of the symbol and type of the tabernacle and the system of Levitical law, which occupies the foundation of our Scripture. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Torah, the law, the Scripture, all of it, this one short letter, uh, which the writer said, I've spoken to you in few words, I believe, in, in Hebrews 13, um, is the most concise treatment of what God was saying through centuries and millennia of a people He carved out for Himself and gave them a worship service so that they would have a generational object lesson of what it means to be clean and enter the Holy of Holies and live. And live. So, in this tabernacle, we have the brazen altar, 
and the latter. So as worshipers and as the priests came in, well, they came in, and the first thing you had to deal with was the sacrifice for sin. This offering up of rams and bulls and goats and, and doves, blood sacrifices, as a substitute for the death that all of us are due because of our sin. Notice, I'm moving away from a teaching. I'm going to start preaching now. <laughs> but <laughs> I've, noticed, uh, I've noticed in marketing um, and this ploy, and it's understandable, but get the night's sleep you deserve. Yeah. Um, so you can have the life you deserve. Everything is Everything is sold <laughs> on this thing of of deserve, you know, and um, I think that in pop culture, one of my favorite deserve lines, and I will say this, you know, any mention of a film is not a, an endorsement thereof. So, you know, watch at your own risk. But I do watch movies, okay? And I'm a Clint Eastwood fan. And I think that one of his best pieces that he ever did in, in, his, uh, in his westerns is The Unforgiven. I mean, even the title, um, you know, is, is pretty substantial. And so the, the, the main character is this, this, this man who's been really broken and really wicked and is trying to live a good life and, and then all of a sudden, well, then life, life goes awry and it's a western, right? So in his confrontation with the sheriff, um, the sheriff is saying basically, you know, but I've just built a new house. <laughs> I've done this, I've done that. I don't deserve this. And Clint says, deserves got nothing to do with it. <laughs> you know? If deserves had stuff to do with it, we'd all be dead. <laughs> and so these animals died so that men would live as a shortstop measure for when someone who had the spiritual capital, enough in his blood bank account to exonerate our sin, could pay the price. And so when you live life with the understanding that what we deserve is death. That's what we deserve. Everything else, everything else that happens in life, well, let's just cream on top. Everything else that happens in life is mercy triumphing over judgment. Every, every experience, every walk, everything that occurs, every joy and every pain is, I'm alive. Amen? But then there's surviving, and there's living, and there's thriving. And the only way we can thrive is if we are attached to the vine. And there is a, there is a means by which we can be attached to the vine, the Lord Jesus Christ, that allows us to receive the sap from His root and grow and grow fruit. And there are ways to be hanging out on the vine and not being connected to that life flow and beginning to wither and beginning to have no fruit. Okay? So, in this approach to the holy, this is the first place that sin had to be dealt with and that sin had to be dealt with with a blood sacrifice. And then the next place in, in the process of approaching the holy place and then the Holy of Holies, which we've talked about in, in great extent, is this brazen laver, this, this place of washing. 
So, Exodus 38.8 says, He made the basin of bronze and its stand of bronze from the mirrors of the ministering women who ministered in the entrance of the tent of meeting. So, the mirrors of this day aren't like mirrors we have of, of you know, glass with uh, a, a reflecting coat on the back of it and everything's clear. It was polished metal. Polished metal were the looking glasses. Well, does it surprise you that a woman want to look at how she was, how she looked? Why would a woman need a mirror? Well, okay. <laughs> Why does anyone need a mirror? You know, uh, looking in a mirror is not just a narcissist thing and it's not just a modern thing. Looking in a mirror is a necessary thing. Self-examination. The, the metals and materials of the building of this... Um, I got a ding. Is that someone wanting... You got a man? That's me. You're good. Woo! Sweet. Um, the, as you read about the making of this tabernacle, what you have is a family, a tribe, a nation of of slaves. Their parents, if they were young, their parents were slaves. Their grandparents were slaves. Their great-grandparents were slaves. For centuries, they served in slavery. And they've just come out of slavery, and they've come out of slavery with all of the abundance of Egypt, which flowed into Egypt when the world was in famine and the most shrewd and wise business manager uh, known to scripture, Joseph, um, continued to sell grain. He didn't give it away, he sold grain. And when people ran out of property, he said, well, you're out of property, there's you. And so everyone became, and particularly, the children of Israel became property of Pharaoh's kingdom. But they came out of that. They came out of that slavery, and they came out with that wealth, and then they began to fabricate this as God had said to fabricate it. So there's listings of materials, and there's listings of the offerings. When people began to bring free will offerings, not a tithe, but free will offerings, what they wanted to give for the building of this, which is a whole nother thing. You don't build structures off the tithe of the church. <laughs> it's all supposed to be free will offerings. There was so much that the people organizing the stuff coming in said, enough. Have you ever seen the back end of a Goodwill store? Or um, Habitat for Humanity? I, I'm amazed as, as, a, as a man who's worked in and, and recycling and sorting uh, the, the cast-offs of the entire community of Hampton Roads. Um, what people do in, in Goodwill stores and in thrift stores and, and, and Habitat for Humanity is mind-boggling because it's the same process. Whereas my process was uh, an accumulation of a bunch of things that people threw out, quote-unquote, as trash, recycling on the curb, and it came into a tipping floor and it got sorted out by machinery. What these people deal with is, a, is this flood of what others consider to be junk and it piles up in the back and dedicated staff over time comb through that and place it in order so at the back of the store it looks like a trash heap 
it looks like a like a like a construction demolition, what we call a C and D dump, construction demolition dump. And as it gets to the front of the store, it's organized and 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 put out for use. And I can imagine these people in the wilderness as others came to. Well, let's do it at uh, let's do it at Joe's tent, you know, and then we'll do it at Joe and Bill's tent. Or, you know, pick some good Jewish names. I don't know. Anyhow, <laughs> we'll be at Simon's and Ben's, okay? We'll go to Simon's and Ben's tent and just bring your offerings. They got overwhelmed. And they finally came to Moses and said, enough. We, we can't handle it. There's so much here. We got more than enough to make the world's most expensive tent, right? <laughs> and, and, you know, we're talking about boards covered in gold and bronze and, and all this stuff. And in amidst all of this generality of goodwill and free giving and free heart, there's, you're not told the sheep's name the wool came from. You're not told who gave up the scarlet thread. You're not told whose earring became a ring for the altar that got carried. But we get to the laver, and it's specific. The Holy Spirit's specific. That out of all that overwhelming gift-giving, that those who were trying to organize it said it was too much. Moses partitioned off for the craftsmen the mirrors of the women who served and ministered at the tabernacle and said, shake the laver out of that. That's significant. That's significant, right? That's what it was made of. So, if you have expert craftsmen under anointed directors who have been given a special grace of wisdom by the Holy Spirit of God to, to work in their metallurgy and to craft their art. And you give them refined, polished bronze. And what they do out of it is they make a bowl and they fill it with water. Boy. Before your hand goes into that water and it begins to ripple, what is that pool? A reflection. It's a big mirror. Right. It's a big mirror. It's a reflection. It's, okay? And this replicates itself out into the temple, Solomon's temple, and then the temple as it was in Herod's day. Okay? I'm enjoying my coffee. Okay. <clears throat> Exodus 24, verse 29, verse 4. You shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. So, as Aaron and his sons were invested into the priesthood, again, all these things written in the Old Covenant are for our, are for our learning and to give us hope. And so, for us to understand what it means when God says that we're a particular people, that we're a royal priesthood unto our God... There were all these object lessons, Genesis through Deuteronomy, <laughs> the baseline of understanding what all this meant. Not as an education and some sort of new liturgy. Not as in, this is how we're supposed to baptize. We're not supposed to be in the Jordan. We're supposed to be by some, some mirror water. No. But to understand what God is working and what his, what his end goal here is, which is, hey kids, I want you close. Hey kids, I want you alive. Hey kids, I want you eating of the tree of life so you can live forever. Right? I mean, if you what hurts when someone dies? 
<laughs> you love them and they're not there. So if you love, if you define yourself by love, Ka is love, well then, what's the answer? I've just got to be with them forever. I will die to have them with me forever. It's just, ah! Okay. So, he brought the priest and he washed them completely with water. Okay? <clears throat> Exodus 30, verse 18. You shall also make a basin of bronze with its stand of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it, which, with which Aaron and his sons shall wash what? Their hands and their feet. See, when they were brought into the priesthood, their bodies were washed, then they were clothed, and then as they ministered, all they needed to do was wash their hands and their feet. You with me? Okay. Why? Why wash their hands and feet? When they go into the tent of meeting, or when they come near to the altar to minister, to burn a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash with water that they may not die. That's, that's good motivation, right? Yeah. So, I can't help but think that, that the whole pharisaical thing of, of not eating food with unwashed hands somehow stems from some sort of fence around this, that, well, if we're going to serve food to God, we better make sure that we wash our hands, otherwise He's going to kill us, right? <laughs> no, otherwise you're going to die. And that's the difference. Um, they shall wash their hands and their feet so that they may not die. It shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his offspring throughout their generations. That as you approach the Lord, let us draw near with our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And the instruction to Aaron and his sons was as they, as they come, as they come to minister, as they come into um, the, the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. Who are we meeting? We're meeting with God. Let them wash their hands and their feet, lest they die. Okay? There is, there is a mean. Who shall approach unto God? But he was a, clean, a pure heart and clean hands, right? The psalm, I just paraphrased it. I didn't give the reference because I didn't write it down. But you know what I'm talking about. So, now, with that understanding, um, let's bring this whole foot-washing ceremony into context. Jesus and his disciples, which is a multifaceted lesson. Um, I, I appreciate and, and I endeavor uh, to understand this communication of a message where there's one point someone can grab onto. Jesus is the master. He's the master teacher. So he, he does drive, drive one point home, but that one point is like a spike ball. It's got, it's got truth all around it, right? There's so much in everything he does. It is so multifaceted, so that this washing of feet was an exhibition of true humility, servant leadership, of, of how these disciples who were involved in internal strife and pole positioning, I want to sit on the right hand, I want to sit, well, what about me, well, what about him, um, you know, well, you know, what do I get to do, why don't you, you know, all this, all, all, all the kinds of rivalry that go on in a family, right? And if you study the twelve disciples and who they were, um, you know, Simon and Andrew, siblings, 
uh, John and James, business partners with Simon and Andrew. John and James, by the way, cousins to Jesus of Nazareth. And you just you start working out this. These weren't people he didn't know. This wasn't some mystic stranger out of Galilee shows up at some other mystic prophet's function and says, "Hey guys, follow me." And they all they all saw the halo. They all because I mean, who wouldn't follow somebody with a halo? They all, they all saw the halo and said. Oh, that's right. We're going to give up fishing for a living. Who cares about the wife and kids? Let's follow that guy because he's got long hair. It didn't go like that. <laughs> okay? Um, and so his washing of the feet was, was this display of how we, as his community, as his followers, are to serve one another. And our stinky feet got nothing on their stinky feet. Okay? If you walked in a street, you walked in a street where animals walked. The world was fueled by hay. And hay produces manure. And manure and trash go on the street. And if you walk in a Middle Eastern climate, <laughs> you're mostly in open shoes. So... Um, when someone, it was customary, as I understand, when someone walks into the house, you want them to be able to be comfortable in your home, but you don't want them tracking in all the dung from the world outside. And so you wash their feet. So a, a, an insult, like when Jesus goes to the banquet, and, and he's talking to, to Simon, not his disciple, but the other guy, said, I showed up, you didn't, even, you didn't even offer water to wash my feet, and this woman's been bathing my feet with her tears. Okay, so here he is. It's the Last Supper. What happened at the Last Supper? What did he institute at the Last Supper? Communion, Communion right? This is it's the Passover meal with his disciples. At the end of dinner, he he basically takes off his outer garments. He he puts a towel around himself. So now he is in not only in the in the status of a servant, but in the garb of a servant, and he begins to wash their feet. So let's go to John thirteen. And uh, verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Servant leadership as a parent, as a discipler, we're all called to go forth and make disciples. Servant leadership comes out of a place of knowing who you are. Of knowing the Father's love for you. It is not difficult to be humble when you know who you are. It, 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 it just divests you of pole positioning. I, I, don't, I don't have to... I can... I can wash someone else's feet, clean somebody else's toilet, shine somebody else's shoes, because I know who I am. It doesn't make me any less. It makes them served. It makes them loved. You understand? And so this is what he did, knowing who he was, right? Knowing who he was. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So this is close, this is near, right? <clears throat> he came to Simon Peter who said, Lord, 
Do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And I just, it's difficult for me to get through this without just keep keeping, uh, without it just blowing up on me. What I do now you don't understand. How many of you have prayed, Lord, I don't understand what you're doing? I just don't know what you're doing. Did you know this is how Jesus behaves? Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forever. And in your relationship with Christ, He's going to tell you a whole bunch of things you don't understand and do a whole bunch of things you don't understand so that when He explains them, you actually understand them. So that when He thaws the Word, when He reveals what's happening, when He demonstrates what it was He was setting up, it lands home in a way that alters your life. That's how he behaves. That's who he is. And, and so often we get in this place where we know the Lord's dealing with us, but we don't know what he's doing, and, and it causes this, it just, it, it causes this doubt, this, uh, is that really you, God? Is that, oh, yeah. <laughs> so I shared that with you to just to give you hope, because this is how Jesus is. You can tell him two, three things. You know, tell him, you know, uh, tell him something time and time again, and then when it all transpired, he said, okay, now this is what I meant. And they were like, ah, that's what you meant. <laughs> okay? I got my Bible upside down. Uh, I got to turn right side up to read better. Okay. What I'm doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Let us draw near with our bodies washed with pure water. Listen, if you don't let me wash you, we can't, we can't hang. Your B.O. is too bad, dude. We got to deal with this. Right? You got sin consciousness breath. We got to deal with that. You got flatulence I can't deal with. We got to deal with that. Your body's off we got to clean this up for us to hang out. Is that real enough for you? Okay, if, if you don't let me wash you, you don't really have a part with me. you got to understand what I'm doing. Peter said, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. So, so Peter's like, oh, my bad, okay, I'm all in, you know? Clean all of me, right? And, and the Lord says, um, Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed, this is verse 10, let me put verse 10 up there. Let me read this together. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed need not to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. You are clean, but not every one of you. And he's talking about Judas. Okay. The one who is bathed. What is he talking about? He's talking about that in the tabernacle, as we read, the, did I need to add her in? Yes. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. Time out, everybody. We, we pause now for the entrance of another person coming into church. <laughs> I've got to manage this this way. Let's see here. Yeah, it's not letting me do it. Boom. Okay. It's all right. Here we go, Denise. Are you in? She looks like she's in. 
There she is. Hi, Denise. Hi, Denise. Hi. <laughs> She's so cute. All right. Okay, I'm minimizing you. I'm going back to the teaching. Uh, there we go. Whoop. There we went. You go back, 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 back. You got a preview, right? Um, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, not every one of you. So, see, this, what Jesus was doing at the Passover meal wasn't a new invention. He's establishing his priesthood course with the twelve apostles. And so, he's only washing their feet because they've been washed. How were his disciples washed? Well, he said, you, you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. So once we hear his word and it goes in, it changes us. Amen. That's it. John 15, 3. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken unto you. Already you are clean. But that wasn't the only washing they had, was it? The baptism. So... Um, I've got to do this from the King James because it's easier to find in my Bible. Um, Acts. You're all clean. Well, you're already clean, except for one of you, basically. So, um, Acts chapter 1. So this is Peter talking. So this is Acts chapter 1. And, and this is after the ascension that Peter deals with the loss of Judas. They're addressing it after the ascension, which is significant. But, um, he says in, in verse 20, it says, For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his habitation be desolate, let, let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take. So somebody else has to take his place. So Peter found wisdom in Scripture as to what to do with Judas's loss. Both of these are internal evidence that Judas's loss wasn't at the temple when he threw the money down, but was more than likely shortly after the ascension. Because this is when it's dealt with. And it wasn't, you know, it's not a recording of Judas and Jesus sitting down and Jesus saying, hey, sorry about Judas, tried to warn you all, but I wanted to protect his heart. But I tell you what, um, uh, Mattathias, you're, you're in, you're next. It didn't happen that way. Why? You know, we have this whole other scenario happening. But watch. Wherefore of these men, which have companied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. So now he's going to give a parameter of time frame. This is the qualification. Someone who's going to fill this office has to have been with us from one particular point in time to another particular point in time. Beginning from the baptism of John unto the present day, or unto the same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be witness of his resurrection. All twelve of these men that Jesus chose and called apostles, it is, it is my understanding, were there when John said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. These were all disciples of John the Baptist. They had all been washed in the washing baptism of, of uh, repentance. They had repented of their sins and their bodies had been washed. And so at the end of his, at the near end of his, of his earthly ministry, 
Jesus, after instituting the new covenant, he begins to deal with the new covenant priesthood. They've already been bathed outside before approaching the altar. Are you with me? Yeah. And now, as they're going to approach and minister at the altar of His crucifixion, He washes their feet. And He says, this is how you're to behave. So the, the lessons are, 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 are multiple, right? But what, what it's resonating with, what this is resonating with, is how priests prepare to minister. In the tabernacle, in the, in the temple, uh, in Jesus' day, the priests who were chosen to serve that day had to go to one of the lavers in the temple and wash their feet and wash their hands. This is what this is about. And this is why I say if you're a Christian and you are, you are unfamiliar with the Torah or you're unfamiliar with, um, with the Old Testament and unfamiliar with the way life was lived in, in Israel in the first century, you're missing a huge portion of the messaging from your Lord and Savior. <laughs> it's just, there's a lot getting lost in translation, okay? So that's my encouragement to do your own study. But, so there was an actual water baptism that signified, it was symbolic. It signified their laying aside of sin and their moving on for God. The, the first major baptism of the children of Israel was the walking through of the Red Sea. Water stood on either side. And they were baptized unto Moses and in the cloud, which is symbolic of water baptism, Holy Spirit baptism. And what happened on the other side? Those that bound them, their enemies, were drowned in the water. When you go into the water, the, the, the demonic afflictions that have chased you your entire life get drowned in the waves and you come out clean. That is the, that's the power of it. So there, there are these uh, rites, R-I-T-E-S's, that we do in the Christian faith that have spiritual, signific or, or, uh, spiritual significance and spiritual power. That in, in obedience to it and actually getting our bodies involved in the activity, something happens in the spirit realm. Okay? And I could go on for hours about that and have, and I won't tonight. But, but you're clean. You're clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. So, so what, ha what happens in life? Well, what happens in life? You know, you, you um, all right, I... You know, not to get into TMI realm here, but I, I, my pattern is I, I shower every night. Okay? So um, I, I wake up pretty clean. And so then as I work throughout the day, I can get pretty messy. Right? You're dealing with dirt and dust and all kinds. Of, I, I get a lot less messy than I used to. <laughs> I, I got real messy in my old job. In this job, I just get dusty and dirty. In the old job, I got icky. Um, and so when we go to eat or, or, or do other things, what do we do to actually do our... We have to go and we wash our hands. It's practical, right? And, and so I think what happens is that as Christians who have been washed and cleaned, we forget the discipline of washing our hands. Oh. Yeah. It's like, ah, you know, 
Uh, we concentrate on what has been accomplished and we forget what we have accumulated. We forget how we've gotten dirty. If you're going to be in the world and ministering, you're going to get dirty. We're human. And so you've got to, so certain things get, you know, lifting holy hands, giving thanks to God, okay? So what's that process is that we begin to understand things that have attached themselves to us. We're not defiled, you understand? Completely defiled. We've just gotten grungy. And we need to go to this Word of God in the areas where we've gotten grungy and get a good scrub up. Right? Does that make sense? It's just, this is real simple stuff. You're clean for the Word that I've spoken unto you. Now, the altar and the laver. Remember, the altar came first, and then we moved to the ladder. The ladder. The ladder laver. Okay? The basin. The wash bin. You know, all these, we have all these nice religious words, but basically, you know, you have, you have the barbecue and, and the wash bin. Okay? God's barbecue, God's wash bin. Alright? Yep, there it is. All, all this food was being offered to God. Right? <laughs> so, here we are at the washman. That's the approach, is the altar and the laver. Well, Hebrews 10.22, right? That, that, that full assurance of faith, that we're walking in with what? With what? Our hearts what? Our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. Well, there's your altar. There's that inside work. And what? Our bodies washed with pure water. There's a laver. Let us draw near, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Has our God changed? No. He is consistent, 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 consistent. Right? This is from Jesus. He's talking, he's talking to the Pharisees, not pulling any punches. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and plate, but inside there are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. You know what a blind Pharisee is? This is kind of a this is a cultural joke. Okay? So we have we have the three monkeys, right? This guy is what? This guy is? And this guy is? See no evil. So the blind Pharisee was the one who was dedicated to purity so much that he wouldn't see any evil. And so then he walks through the world like this. And, you know, and, and anyhow, but hey, I'm good because I'm not seeing anything that will defile me. You blind Pharisee. Jesus was a funny guy. Pointed. Pointed, but man, his humor is like, woo, off the charts. First clean the inside of the cup and plate, that the outside may also be clean. He didn't say all you need to do is clean the inside. Right? He wants it all clean. So, this is the same pattern. Clean the inside. Our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. Clean the outside, that the outside may also be clean. We can go through all the rites of passage. We can go down for baptism. We can go up to the altar. We can wear the right clothes, speak the right language, 
and be, uh, be all nice and pretty in our Sunday go-to-meeting clothes, and it won't matter one iota if the inside hasn't been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. You cannot clean the outside and it be beneficial with the, out, with the inside still being corrupt. But once you have the inside clean, you have to clean the outside. Does that make sense? Once this has been changed, once this has been clean, then you've got to change what your hands are doing, what your eyes are doing, what your ears are doing, what your mouth's doing. And we, we have this false dichotomy in religious life where spirit good, body bad. Redemption is, I get to leave my body. Oh, all of our songs are about, you know, all, all these, uh, not all of our songs, so many songs about, um, you know, leaving our body and being with the Lord and, and, and that that's the goal, that we're outside of our body. No. Jesus said, listen, if you got a problem with your hand, I would rather the rest of this body be redeemed and you chop off your own hand and lose it than your whole body have to be lost. It's important to him, that body. I'd rather, I'd rather you be a one-eyed saint than a two-eyed lost soul. Right? Make sense? Yes. So, so, having been washed here with the blood, we've got to be washed here with the water. And, and it's the Word of God, it's the Spirit of God, and it is baptism. I'm not minimizing baptism. Baptism is intrinsically important in the life of a saint in discipleship. It's not salvation itself, but it is a declaration. It is a, it is a touchstone upon which God begins to move in a way that He cannot until you are obedient. It's, that's, that's the truth of it, okay? So you blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that, 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 the outside may be clean. And so, uh, you know, um, it's, it, it, my experience has been that this is a continual, um, a continual search in, in a Christian community where we've endeavored to purify our, our outward expression of life, you know? We're, we're not... We're not gonna. We're not gonna be a part of the world, and so we become our own enclave with our own clothing line, our own video line, our own book line, and our own friends line. And so we have no corruption from the world coming in. And so then we have this cloister of modestly dressed, G-rated movie watching people who injure each other, are are are, are self-seeking, prideful, uh, whatever the case may be. I'm talking about me. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me. Okay. So, you understand? First, first. All of us. Yeah. Get the inside clean, and then the outside can be clean. The outside can be clean. If I have no faith in what God did in my heart, I have no hope of what I can change in my body. Right. And what I'm doing with my body. And rest assured, we will all be judged for what we've done in our body, both good or bad. Okay? The body is an eternal thing. You are not a portion of you. You are not a spirit. You are not a soul. You are not a body. You are spirit, soul, and body. And if the Lord tarries and your spirit should exit your body, you will feel naked except for the grace of God clothing you in heaven. You are not going to be yourself until your body is redeemed. 
your body is hugely important. And this is why it needs to be washed. How do I wash my body with the Word? Well, I have to, I have to read and understand that Word and then obey it. And as I obey that Word, then that Word sets me free. It cleanses me of defilement, right? So that if Scripture says, touch not the unclean thing, that's a simple thing. That's a practical thing in the stupid video store. When they used to have video stores, you know? And, and so, well, how do they sell videos? Well, they sell videos by imagery. Well, what kind of imagery do you think a guy is, is, is prone to? So if you're just combing through a video store and it's like, well, that looks interesting. Okay, right there. Touch not the unclean thing. Hugely practical. Yeah? That's why I thought also how Scripture says, your word I've hidden in my heart. So mm -hmm. Then I'm not saying issue. issue. Right. Because the Holy Spirit will at that time bring God's word that you've been reading. Back to, you. back to your heart. You know, I've, I've made a covenant with my eyes that I should not look on a maiden with lust. I mean, all this is this is the word of this is how we do warfare. That word of God cleanses our walk. That's what the feet are about. Keep my feet clean in the way I'm walking. Keep my hands clean in the way I'm dealing. Right. So, um, so some body meditations. I've already shared a few. Matthew 26, 26. And Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he said, Take, eat. This is my body. How important is your body? Your body... <laughs> how important is the body of Christ? Jesus' bride. Jesus' bride. Bride, yeah, the bride of Christ. Right? So, take, eat, this is my body. So, how God created us, how He uh, wonderfully made us and crafted us in our mother's womb, how He has wired this flesh of ours, He did so in a way that we would um, understand in a very concrete, I can touch it, I can feel it way, what it means to be the body of Christ. See, it's really hard, it's challenging for us to really rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. That takes effort. How much effort does it take to scream when you smack your finger with a hammer. It's automatic. I mean, it's automatic, isn't it? it you know, so, so look at that for a second. If I'm working with my body and I injure myself, I have to fight against other portions of my body being in pain and discomfort. Ah! <laughs> Sorry, you know? I mean, it's automatic. And yet, when somebody in the body of Christ is suffering, um going through something that's that for whatever reason where they're suffering it's like we've I'm, again talking about me i have a, i have to like gin it up i mean i gotta work i'm like you know i should be compassionate or i should you know i'm it, it my my natural reaction is is i my nervous system doesn't extend into their body and oftentimes my social circuit doesn't extend into their social circuit so the pain that they're feeling, 
I can't feel unless I acknowledge that that's my body and I let Jesus share the pain. <laughs> and when Jesus shares the pain, then you can walk in the fellowship of His sufferings because there's nothing you go through He does not feel. There's nothing you go through that He does not feel. How hard is it for you to scream when your fingers smack? Not. So how, how quickly do you think He cries out when you're hurting? Long before you started praying about it, trust me. <laughs> I'm telling you, your body washed with pure water. Take, eat, this is my body. The reality of this lesson is great, is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. The Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. And that Word of God, who still inhabits a body and sits on the right hand of the throne of the Father on high, says, draw near, draw near, draw near with a pure heart, draw near with a clean body. Let me wash you so that I can show my Father my bride. <laughs> How important is your body? It's the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's important. <clears throat> Romans 12.4 We, though many, are one body in Christ. We, though many, are one body in Christ. So your victory is my victory. Your defeat is my defeat. Right? And, and we're finite. We're human. It's, it, we, you know, we don't stretch as well as God does because God's everywhere. But God wants us to, to grow, to, to enlarge our heart so that we can bear one another's burdens, so that we can, in the Spirit, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn, so that we can, while we're bearing our own burdens, we can bear each other's burdens. Right? Let's go to Romans 6. And verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? I had a Bible teacher in my youth who, who uh, kind of grandstand on the Scripture, and, and, and he was a real baptism by the Holy Spirit guy. And so he said, so where's water? And there's no water in that verse. Where's water in that verse? It's in that word baptized, okay? It's there. That's water. <laughs> right? It's right there. Um, those of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus, baptism is identification. When, when, when you go through water baptism, you are identifying with Jesus. And that going into the water is burial, and that coming out of the water is resurrection. <clears throat> we were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Let me ask you, church, what do you walk with? Your feet. Your feet. You walk with your body. Everything that you will do for God, 
that you will be held accountable for and that you will be rewarded for is done in your body. It is part of your identity. It is who you are. When you exit your body uh, for the final time before the resurrection is when, is when your actions that will be judged will cease. Your spirit at that point is justified and it's just awaiting, it's just awaiting the judgment seat of Christ. Because the unfolding of your the unfolding of your fruit and your work, good or bad, is not done until time wraps up. But that is how important the body is. Right? That we might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in the resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So when we're talking about the flesh and we're talking about the body, I know that in my flesh dwells no good thing. We're talking about that flesh that hasn't died. We're not talking about the flesh, the body that God resurrected, that He's going to resurrect, that He calls us to live in resurrection life. You who have identified with Christ's death for sin, consider yourself to have been executed for that sin. You're freed from it. There's no other price that can be paid for it. It's been met out. You are dead to it. Now don't walk it anymore. Serve in newness of life like you've been resurrected from the grave. That's the discipline of a disciple of Christ. <clears throat> We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. God wants us free. For one who has died has been, has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death has no longer, no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. So this, this whole thing about our body isn't about neglect of the body. Anything that the body desires is automatically evil. No, it is that what God gives us in our flesh, we do to serve Him. It's alive to God. My faculties are alive to God. My imagination is alive to God. My, my work is alive to God. My writing is alive to God. My singing is alive to God. My eating is alive to God. You understand? It, it's, it's, it's not this, well, I, you know, I, I better live, I better fast until I die. Because fasting's good, so more fasting's better. And so, if, <laughs> if fasting a little while and avoiding food is spiritual, well, then if I starve to death, I'm a, I'm a good martyr. You know, and we laugh, but we do crazy stuff like that in our head all the time. Right? God never called you to starve to death. God didn't say you don't need clothes. He said your body's more than a clothes hanger. God didn't say you didn't need to eat. He said that life has more to do with it than just eating. Right? Where was I? Excited. For the death he died, he died to sin. Once for all, the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, 
but present yourselves to God as those who have been bought from death, brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. So if, if, I, had, if I had committed murder and, and been given the death penalty, and they hung me from the neck until I was dead, and they buried me. And then, three days later, I dug my way out of that grave and stood up an alive man. Who's going to hang me again? We don't even do double jeopardy in the law. We don't even expose our... And, and the flawed, good as it is, and the flawed, man-made, American constitutional system, we don't expose our citizens to indictment on, on an accusation that was unproven and they walked away from. There's no, it's, it's unconstitutional to expose our people to double jeopardy. And yet somehow, as Christians, living under the grace of God, for whom our Lord has died under the law and then resurrected, we just want to go out there and pass out all the time. <laughs> ah! It boggles the mind. Oh, I hope that makes sense. Romans 8. Romans 8. Verse 10. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give you life, also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. This is a recognition of where the real life of our life comes from. The real energy of our life comes from. Um, there, there are many mornings I don't exercise. Um, there are many mornings I do exercise. Most of those mornings that I do exercise, I don't want to exercise. <laughs> I do physical labor for a living, you know. But, but in the mornings when I do exercise, uh, I frequently begin the exercise with thanking God who renews my strength like the eagles, who renews me by His might in the inner man, that He is the one that gives my flesh strength so that I can be strong. Right? Does that make sense? So, so then my exercise moves away from self-indulgence to self-preparation. My exercise moves away from vanity. I'm not saying it's not vain. I'm saying it moves away from vanity to preparedness. Um, and and I'm, I'm going back a good decade and a half or more now, but when, when I recognized that I was in a place physically that ministering um, was difficult. I would get through with the teachings, um, I would get through with ministry, and, and I, had, I had debilitating headache. Um, I, I would get winded. I did not have the strength to bear under. And so then I had to recognize my, my temple is out of order for the operation of the one who resides in it. So I have to change things about my body so that it may do more for his kingdom. That makes sense? Right? So, I mean, that's a, that's a short snippet of, of, of um, a life's worth of, of uh, 
correction from the Lord. <laughs> um, his Spirit gives us life. Amen? I've gone wrong. Um, Romans 8, verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. We know we've received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. But our full adoption as children of God will not be complete until our bodies are redeemed. Do you understand? Until we are remade. Until the corruptible puts on incorruption. Until the mortal puts on immortality. And we receive a body like His body. Because we're going to see Him as He is. So our washing, Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her, that He may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing water with the Word. So here again you see the sprinkling of the heart. He gave Himself up for her, and then He washed her with the washing water of the Word. Right? So that He may present the church to Himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, even as Christ does the church, because we are members of his own body. In the first marriage, God said, and the two shall be one flesh. And his blessing was, what? Be what? Be fruitful and multiply. And the purpose of our union with Christ is that we would be fruitful and multiply. He said on the walk to the garden, I am the vine, you are the branches. Right? And if the branch isn't bearing fruit, the gardener, the father, is going to come by and start some pruning. Because Jesus wants spiritual intimacy with us that is superior to, but is understood with the union of husband and wife, with that union of one body, that intimacy of one body. That is the intimacy the Lord wants and has in our spirit that we might bear love, joy, peace, goodness, gentleness, meekness, faith. Right? Um, well, you don't come to the bedchamber dirty. You don't draw near to God and avoid the altar and the laver He's provided. Right? He's made a way for you to come in clean to bear fruit well. Does that make sense? Yes. Titus. One, uh, 3, chapter one, uh, verse 1. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. I love the way God approaches us. He says, you know, we used to be, I, you used to be like that. 
I read that and I'm going, that was me yesterday. <laughs> <You know? laughs> the day before, last week, you know what I mean? But, but God's saying, you know, you used to be like that. We used to be like that. But now, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. He is the fountain of life. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come, all who will, come and drink freely of the water of life. He is still the dispenser. The Holy Spirit abides in you, but that abiding presence and washing over, that manifest presence of the Holy Spirit that washes over and cleanses you, comes from your Lord, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. God intends for you to have the best eternity possible. He has so much planned for each of us, already laid out. It's all there already. It's not a matter of you earning anything. It's a matter of you keeping what He's given you. And the way you keep it, the way you keep it, is you draw near. You draw near with your heart sprinkled from an evil conscience and your body washed with pure water. Amen? Amen. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Is right. Thank you, Lord.